Hey everybody, welcome back to church, and this is church. Despite the fact that you're watching online, wherever you may be, we are the church, and the church is happening. Uh, much like the Blues Brothers, we have gotten the band back together, and we are on a mission from God. So uh, would you please stand up to your feet? We are going to fight and contend for worship space in this church uh, now and forever. As long as we got breath in our lungs, we're going to keep singing. Join us now. Let's do it.
Thank you, worship team, for leading us. I admit it really was good to have the band back together and uh, a lot of energy in our worship. Grateful for that and uh, the work that they put into that each and every week. Well, I'm so thankful you're joining us online for our worship service. And just a reminder, one of the ways that we like to stay in touch with you as it relates to prayer is if you wouldn't mind texting us at 97,000 uh, with any prayer requests, anything at all that we can be lifting up for you each week, it would be a thrill for us uh, to join you in your prayer requests. Well, let me just go through a few things happening in our church community. The first thing has uh, been a tradition for so many years. In August, we always take time uh, to celebrate baptism. And so we have a baptism coming up next weekend on August the 30th, following or really at the tail end of the 1045 service. And so if you've never made that 
uh, outward expression of an inward decision. This is an amazing time to put your uh, stake in the ground and acknowledge that you're uh, giving your life to Jesus Christ, whether that's a, a new decision for you if, or if it's something that you've never acted out on. We'd love to have you be a part of our baptism. If you are interested, you can just shoot us an email in the office letting us know that, and we'll get uh, details uh, for you uh, coming this week. Couple other things uh, going on. First off, I wanna highlight some of the things going on with the ladies so on a monthly basis. We've really found it a, a, just a profitable time for the ladies to connect with these courtyard gatherings. And so our next one of those is scheduled for Monday, August 31st, meeting at 6.30, obviously in the courtyard. And uh, just a, a wonderful opportunity to see some people face-to-face, -face, still staying safe with an outside environment, but also getting a chance to dive into God's word, connect with some other women. I talked to Adrian after the last one. She was just saying, man, it's just good for the soul. And so I encourage you ladies uh, to consider that as a possibility. Men's ministry, a few of these are more mark your calendar, some things a little bit out, but wanted to make sure you knew about a few important things. The first one that's uh, coming upon us is our seventh annual golf tournament. We thought that's a perfect tradition to keep going uh, this year. A great opportunity to be outside, connect with some uh, men. We have a meal that's included with that that will also be uh, outside and hopefully an encouragement. It's happening at Moore Park Country Club on September 23rd, which is a Wednesday. You can go ahead and register online for that on our website. We already have that uh, up and running. And another thing meant for you to get on the calendar is on October 17th, it's a Saturday, is our one-day men's retreat. And so we typically get away for a couple days, but this year we're going to try to jam-pack everything into a Saturday. And so excited to have you be a part of that and keeping that uh, weekend clear would be fantastic. Well, I just want to thank, just continue to thank those of you that are uh, giving and supporting the ongoing ministries of this church through your uh, faithful giving and also asking for those uh, that are maybe noticing some of the catch up that we have to do as far as this year's budget to prayerfully consider what your part might be in that. We have basically three ways to give, whether it's online, whether it's the website, our church app, or mailing in a check to support the ministries of ABF. We're extremely uh, grateful for your faithfulness uh, with that. Well, one of the things that we've had fun doing and having an opportunity to reach out and encourage maybe some of the families in our church is these uh, different quarantine uh, meal raffles where we choose a name. And uh, Josh and Chris were tied up with a student ministry retreat this week. And so we have some subs this week. And so I want to apologize in advance for what you're about to see. Welcome to the ABF Quarantine Raffle, brought to you by Stephanie and Adrian. All right, Adi, it's really hot. So it's let's do this so quick, hot. Sweet Christmas. Nobody likes cooking in 100 degree August weather. No, so no. Let's see who we're gonna deliver food to this who week. Is it gonna be? It's going to who be. Is it gonna be? Dave Massey, Massey family. family. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel. Let's see what we're cooking for the Masseys tonight. Chipotle. To deliver the food to the Here Masseys. Here we are at the Massey's house. Chipotle. Here we go. Let's go. Oh, we 
Buddy. And all August, the Massey. August, August, August. And August. August. Dave Massey. August, thank Tell you. Tell us, how long have you been at ABF? 26 <laughs> years. 27 years. 27 years. Laura, get out here. But I'm only 30. I'm Laura, only 30. Woo! What, what are all the unique and wonderful wildlife cre creatures that have been in your backyard this summer? Oh my gosh, there's a dove and her baby's right here. No. So literally, if you, if you come right here, you can see them. Come this way, come Hello, this way. morning, Dove. Do you see the baby? Oh, I just, I'm not it's gonna okay. attack it's your okay. baby. No, it's okay. Way. She's, she's like pretty chill. I love you. Isn't she sweet? We love you and your babies. <laughs> How old is your oldest to the youngest? Name them in age. Go. Adam, 28. Jake, 25. Hannah, 21. Uh, Chloe, 17. Tabby, 15. So many. Oh, Laura, oh, Laura, 29. Yeah. Well, we hope you guys will enjoy your ABF uh, Chipotle dinner. Chipotle dinner. Thank you so we much. We love you. Thank you. Well, it's great to be back with you. I'm so excited as we do part two in our series, Light the Dark. It's a study of the Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to take a peek this morning or tonight or the afternoon or whenever you're listening to this about the character that I think might be the most interesting New Testament character we'll study. His name is John the Baptist. We might call him JB for short. He has this really unique uh, relationship with Jesus, and he's going to give us some invaluable insights on what it must be like to be in the second chair or the number two position. And in fact, we know that ultimately as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we sit in the second chair. Now you say, what is this whole second chair thing? Well, let me give you some examples. In baseball, you're the bench coach waiting for your shot to be the manager. Or maybe in music, you're the violinist. You're in the second chair wanting to be first chair. Or in football, you're that offensive coordinator who can't wait to be the head coach. In business, you're the COO waiting to be the CEO. In politics, you're the vice president uh, maybe someday being the president. Uh, in driving, you're the guy that's riding shotgun and you just wish you could drive, but you're 12 and your dad still has the wheel. And then in the Bible, the second chair is John the Baptist and he's in that in relationship to Jesus Christ. And so as Christ followers, I wanna give us three big ideas tonight. I want us to think about the idea of us being in the second chair. And as we look at his life, we have application for our life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your scripture, may it come alive to us. May we apply it. May the messenger not confuse the message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got your notes, you want to uh, pause the video. If you haven't, run these notes, and it'll be easier for you to take notes. Here we go. First thing, your character Know who you are. Look at John 1, verses 19 to 22. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, nope. Are you the prophet? He said, mm-mm. And he said to them, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Who are you? It's asked two times, both in 19 and 22. And think about it. 
He's John the Baptist. He's been doing quite an evangelistic work out in the desert. People are coming and hearing him, and he has one message, repent. And we're going to talk about what that is. So he could have kind of taken it all in and said, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those great uh, prophets. And he could have kind of played the role like he was Elijah come back or Moses from the dead. It reminds me, because I can't figure out who he is, and I realize this is an old school movie, but take yourself back to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman are being chased by these guys. And they kept th saying, who are those guys? Who, who are those guys? Well, these religious leader, le leaders are saying, who is this guy? Who is he? Well, he says right off the bat, right? He didn't claim to be Christ. That's the New Testament word. Or Messiah, which is the Old Testament word, which means the anointed one. He's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. Remember, Elijah never died, 2 Kings 2.11. In fact, it was expected that Elijah would come back in the end times. Check that out in Malachi 4.5. So maybe they thought he was Elijah coming to finish the job. He wasn't the prophet. Now, this is a little tricky. Who is the prophet? Because it was predicted by Moses. And on the screen there, you can see it. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him who you shall listen. So they thought for sure it must be what Moses had predicted. Remember, there had been 400 years of silence. And so this is a tough deal because they're thinking for sure that's the guy. And he says, no, he's not. Now, it's a little bit of a misnomer. He, he wasn't really the Old Testament prophet, but he is kind of the first herald uh, or ambassador in the New Testament. So he could have said just about anything. Think how popularity and power are so intoxicating. In fact, he might have thought to himself, I wonder, maybe I could be one of those guys. What, what does the job pay? You know, it'd be hard not to get, get caught up in this thing. In fact, if he had Twitter, he was trending on Twitter. In fact, he had gone viral. I mean, people were all over this, this guy and wanting to know more. But here's something that is so important. It is so important. He was not confused about his identity, and we should not be confused about our identity. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was that homeschooled rural cousin of Jesus. His parents were involved in ministry. Remember Zacharias, the priest, and Elizabeth? And when cousin Mary came to see his mom, when she was six months pregnant, it says he leapt in the womb. And so these godly parents knew from day one there was a special anointing on their kid. He was a religious outsider. Some people think he might have been a part of this little sect called the Essenes. Uh, if he were from California, I'm telling you, he would be a desert rat from the Mojave Desert, right? He probably rode a three-wheeled Harley chariot. Uh, and man, did he have a weird diet. Who eats this stuff? Locusts and wild honey. By the way, I've looked at the Greek word for locust. It means peanut M&Ms. Well, maybe not. And so I'd never been to Costco, never been to Starbucks. And he wore the really strange clothes. He was kind of a hipster into leather belts and cinched at the waist in this camel hair tunic, according to Mark 1.6. I'm guessing he probably didn't use deodorant. I'm pretty sure that he woke up with bedhead every day and he wore a Dodger cap. I'm saying this guy was different. He was unorthodox. He had this nonconformist approach. In fact, 
If you hear him preaching, he's always saying, repent, repent. He's kind of yelling at people. And they didn't know if he was crazy or was he anointed. But I can tell you for a fact, all kidding aside, this man had courage because he had courage to call out the religious leaders of the day. And he would call them out about their hypocrisy. And it gets him in big trouble with the politicians later on in his life. And he literally loses his head over the deal. And so he calls them out, but he calls the people, the common people out in a different way. And he calls them to this deeper commitment to their belief in God. And we'll talk what that looked like in just a moment. And so he wasn't confused about his identity. And as Christ followers today, we should not be confused about our identity. We are children of the King. We're adopted. We've been redeemed. We are forgiven. And so we need to remember who we are. Remember, we're in the second chair to Jesus. He's the big deal, not us. Well, the second thing you got to know is about your calling. And he knew his calling, and we should know our calling. Know your purpose and position. Verses 23 to 28. Now, there's some preparation for this. He said in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They come back, they're explaining again that there was a subgroup that were sent by the Pharisees to kind of trip him up here. And so it says he was one crying in the wilderness. What's that come from? He's quoting directly from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And I want to make sure you know we are talking about John the Baptist, even though this book we're studying is written by the beloved apostle John. So we don't want to get these guys mixed up. And he says, make straight the way. Well, literally what would happen when a king and his entourage would have to make a long trip, the, the roads were windy and rocky and brush and this and that. And so they had a setup crew, a, a prep team before the king would travel, and they would kind of clear the brush, clear the rocks, make straight the path for the king. And he says, it's a construction term. He says, that's exactly what his role was in preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Now, it says that they were sent there from the Pharisees, these kind of spies. Now, back in the day, the Pharisees numbered about 6,000 at the time. They're very influential. They took a very strict interpretation law. They would have been uh, what we would call today as conservatives, all right? They embraced oral traditions, though, that somehow uh, then got translated into to almost as the same level as Scripture, and that was the basis of the Talmud. And so they're actually one of the only the, the smaller groups that even survived during the Jewish war in AD 66 through 70. Now, I've thought long and hard whether I should use this illustration, but we're on tape for all posterity to see. But I want to single out two groups, all right, to help you kind of understand these two factions in Judaism. We had the Pharisees and we had the Sadducees. The Pharisees are the conservatives. They walk, watch Fox News, right? And, and the Sadducees, they only watch CNN, I'm telling you. But the Pharisees, we always kind of pick on them like, man, what was wrong with these guys? They were so legalistic. But it didn't start that way. You see, I believe the Pharisees deeply loved God originally. They deeply loved God, and they saw the moral decay of the Roman Empire, and they said, we want nothing to do with that. Out of here. We're going to separate ourselves. That, what that, that's what the word means, the separated ones. We're going to separate from them. And they saw that decline, and so then 
It wasn't too bad, except they then started adding all these rules, interpreting the Mosaic law as they tried to kind of be in a defensive posture, so to speak. They wanted to be right. But the problem was they were more interested in making a point and declaring the truth than in being loving. And in fact, they didn't really care about the relationships around them. They just wanted to make it clear that this is how you should toe the line. Let me tell you, friends, something I've learned during COVID and in ministry over the last 42 years. We have the truth. Christian, you have the truth. But it is not enough to be right. You have got to be redemptive in relationships. And I'm reminded every time on a phone call, on hold for customer service with Kaiser about my bill that is way too much and they keep charging me for things I shouldn't be paying for. And I realize I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ and I know I'm right. And I got to take a chill pill and I got to go, <sighs> I've got to be redemptive. And my wife is always in the corner cringing going, no, be nice. She has signs, be nice. You see, the Pharisees weren't nice. They weren't right. They, were, they, they, they thought they were right, and they, tr and they just weren't nice. So they had sent out these scouts, these AKA spies, because they heard that John the Baptist had been doing all this stuff. They wanted to know, this guy was unorthodox. Was he legit? But they didn't come to ask questions. They came to interrogate. They didn't come to listen they came to accuse. Someone's used this quote in modern day parlance today, their arrogance was only exceeded by their ignorance. So they're coming to check him out, but they have no idea that JB is about to turn the tables and challenge them to check Jesus out. So what was his purpose? Well, they asked him then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophets? They're kind of a little testy with them, aren't they? Verse 26, John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. And so the religious leaders are perplexed. Why is he doing these spiritual things? He's not one of them. He's not one of the former prophets. Who gave you the authority? What are your credentials? You didn't go to rabbi school and you could see the, who are you? What do you think you're doing? But he knows exactly what his role is, right? He's called for the people to repent. Now, these weren't evil people. These were God-fearing people that were waiting for Messiah. They were decent, moral people. They were devout people. They probably didn't eat bacon and lobster even, right? And, and he's saying to them, stop fiddling with ritual and prepare to be transformed by relationship. By the way, true Christianity is always about relationship, not religion, not ritual, not who or what you do, but who and what Jesus has done. And that's why this sounds familiar, right? You gotta speak the truth in love. Well, the second thing he was doing is to prepare people to receive Jesus. These people were living under the yoke of Roman oppression and they wanted a Messiah, AKA deliverer in the worst way, but they wanted a political guy, not a spiritual savior. They wanted relief from oppression from Rome. Just like some of us want relief, uh, I can't go there. I just can't say it. But you know what I'm talking about. You were, you're, some of you are just going nuts, right? Because you're trying 
to live your life. And it's tough during these COVID days. But really what they wanted, the Pharisees ultimately, and the zealots, another side group, they wanted a theocracy. They had wed politics and Judaism. They wanted a king again, which they had been without for years. And so JB is preparing them for this spiritual Messiah that would transform them. And there was a much deeper message that he was bringing. Well, what was his position then? Verses 27 and 28. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And then it says in verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. The sandals untied, you know the drill. These guys wore sandals and that's the, they didn't have Nikes, there was no tennis shoes, there's no dress shoes, there are sandals. There are sandals that are big and wide and, and they're, they're gunked with mud and manure and they're in the streets and when you come into someone's house, you gotta take your shoes off. I lived in Minnesota, that was the deal. You take your shoes off, right? Well, you come in, well, what are you gonna do with that? I mean, these feet are nasty. I mean, it's worse than the worst zoo breath, morning breath on your feet, and they're covered with you know what, and it's just dank. And so the job of, in the house of the head of the house, he'd have somebody clean somebody's feet and wash them off. So the rabbi would have these followers. It wasn't one of the students. It'd be the lowest on the low end of the totem pole of someone serving in that, that rabbi's house. And it was a disgusting disgusting, smelly, horrible job. And the, the shortest tenured servant was there. I, I think, I, I, in my imagine, they went, oh, you gotta do it, dude. Rock, paper, scissor, or one, two, three, ready or not, here I come. Nope, you're up, you didn't, you're doing it. And this poor guy would have to clean these feet. And so the point is that John says in comparison to Jesus, he's not worthy even to be a student rabbi. He's not even worthy to be the guy that's gonna clean your feet. He's lower than that. In other words, he's saying, in all humility is, man, it's not about me. It is not about me. This definition of humility, I really like. It's been attributed to C.S. Lewis, but it's actually from a, a guy named Ken Blanchard. And he said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what... John the Baptist humbly recognized about himself. He always, always deferred to Jesus. You've seen the scripture, look at it. I must decrease so he may increase, John 3.30. And you've seen this symbol on, on cars all over the place, uh, the he is greater than I symbol. That's John the Baptist. He kind of coined that phrase way back in the day. Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, Romans 12, 13. Now, you gotta know something right now. I know we're in COVID, but I'm loving baseball. I know it's weird with those cutout fans and there's piped in noise and man, oh man, but I love it. But let's put it in a baseball term. How is John the Baptist's relationship to Jesus? Well, he's kind of the setup man for the closer. Uh, he's Baez before he went on the IR to Jansen, right? Uh, he prepared the way, but he's not the way. He's the reflector of light, but he's not the light. He works for the boss, but he's not the boss. Um, I think probably a really fun illustration, and he's sitting to me, to me over here in the first chair, is our pastor, Pastor Scott. Um, 
I'm in the second chair to him as associate pastor. Some of you don't realize this, but I, years ago, I came here as the interim pastor uh, before we hired Pastor Scott, and uh, part of my job was to help find the new pastor. In a sense, I came in, and we had to clean up some stuff, and we did some things to prepare the church to receive our new pastor. And we've had this wonderful relationship together. But I got to tell you, we work at it. And I wonder really how John the Baptist and Jesus worked on it. You know, because he had everything and all of a sudden Jesus comes along. Not saying that Pastor Scott is Jesus here, but you know, you know, he's got the tan though to, to make it happen just not the hair. But the bottom line is, how did they work at it? You know why it works? Jesus didn't have to work on it, but John the Baptist did. In the same way, I've learned that there are just times I just defer because my job is the setup man for him. And it's fun. And we, we've enjoyed that. We had lunch today and we talked about just that relationship. Now, let's move on. The third thing you got to know is who your commander is. Know who you serve, verses 29 to 34. And I want to give you three big ideas about that. Look at point A. He supernaturally declares who Jesus is. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, this is uh, John the Baptist talking. Now, this Lamb of God, it's symbolic of the Passover. You've known that from Exodus chapter 12. During the Passover time, there would be 250,000 lambs would be slain during the Passover. And these lambs are symbolic of an ultimate lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to be slain for the sins of all the world. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And I won't take the time to kind of uh, take this together, but this substitutionary atonement, that's what Christ did. He dies for us. He, his life, his entire life was preparing for his bloody sacrificial execution, as Pastor Scott says, on a cruel Roman cross. So the symbolism isn't lost on these guys hearing this. Secondly, what does he say? He graciously defers to Jesus' authority in verses 30 and 31. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. What? John the Baptist? Cousin John doesn't know that his cousin Jesus isn't the Messiah? Well, there's something going on here. He knows at the baptism for sure, because we have this evidence of the Trinity with the God the Father saying, my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And so... Uh, I'm not sure he uh, completely understood how this would all play out. But note, John doesn't record this baptism. He is giving the testimony from John the Baptist who is describing what he did. Now, something you need to know about John, this has nothing to do with our text specifically, but you need to know that the entire gospel of John, did you realize it only covers 21 days of his three and a half year ministry? In fact, almost half of the gospel of John is devoted to the final week uh, of Jesus' life. And in fact, one-third, 247 verses out of 879 are devoted to one 
24-hour period. So this is at the front end, but you're going to see most of the rest of John is much later in the chrono chronological life of Christ. And so Jesus' baptism will say, well, that's a problem. Well, he's saying repent. Jesus didn't need to repent, right? No, you see, what, see that word? For that I might be revealed, that he might be revealed to Israel. His baptism wasn't for repentance. His baptism, John baptized Jesus for his revealing, not for his repentance. In other words, it's his coming out party. Jesus is in the house, and he is about to do some things that are going to blow your mind. Literally, Israel, here is the man. Third thing, he clearly describes what he saw. He clearly describes what he saw, verses 32 to 34. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. This is super important. We'll come back to that. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the dove's positioning remained on Jesus, indicating that divine approval from the Father. And in fact, it's not a temporary thing. It was a permanent thing. We know that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on Old Testament saints for a time, but it wasn't permanent. When we get to the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, we find that in Acts 2, uh, that, that, uh, that we receive the Holy Spirit permanently. And note again, the Trinity is revealed in Jesus' baptism. And it says it remained on him. Two times it's saying that Jesus is spirit-filled. He lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he tells the disciples, I'm going to send you another, a comforter, another like me, the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, be, uh, after you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, that dynamite that will come upon you. It's like a kite being filled with wind. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, some of you said we could have done all this, but how did you get that little word in that he did not know him? He's his cousin. No, it's a curious statement. They are cousins, but I think God has to supernaturally reveal to John in that setting, John the Baptist, in that setting, in the moment of that baptism, when all those elements come together, that this is God, not just his cousin. At the moment of his baptism, he is, and he declares it, see at the end there, he is the son of God. And that's why the scripture says, if you've seen the father, you've seen the son. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And it's a declaration that he is God. So many people want to make Jesus out to be less than God. He was a great moral teacher. He was a, a good man. No, no, no. Don't accommodate your theology to the popular whims of, of, of culture. He is God. He's the son of God. He is divine. He was born by Mary. And so he is God and he is man. And so today, friends, when we think about John the Baptist and we think about his life and his life in the second chair, that's what God's calling you to. You're being called to a life in the second chair to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we anticipate, we yield to his lordship. In fact, some of you say, I want to do great things for God. 
Well, we know what it says in the scriptures. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, what do you be? You be like John the Baptist. You be a servant of all. You prepare the way. You're winsome in your witness. You don't always have to be right, but you are always going to be redemptive. You're not just about cramming more knowledge into your head so you can win an argument. You want to win, not in the discussion, but in the winsomeness of your approach to people as you live out this Jesus life. And so greatness is not in what we do, but in the greatness of who we do it for. And I'm telling you, the best life you can live is life in the second chair because this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for you, there's a description of what's going to be like in Revelation, and I want to read it for you. And I want you to do something wherever you're at right now. I want you to stand up. I want you to listen to God's word, and then you're going to say, wow, because I've heard about the suffering servant. I've heard about the lamb of God, but not the warrior lamb from Revelation. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It comes from Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 to 13. I'm going to start with verse 6, then I'm going to cut to verse 11, and let's, I'm going to read it for you. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, Verse 11, then I looked and I heard from the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. That is the Lamb of God that we serve. That's why I willingly sit in the second chair to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is greater than I. Look at that on the screen. He is greater than I. Is that your prayer? I pray it is. Would you consider that today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that we would understand our position in Christ. We are second to you. We'd love to be in the second chair because you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I am so glad we have the message and the model from John the Baptist to learn how to do it because we know who we are. We know our position in Christ and we know who we serve. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
Well, ABF Online, I'm so glad you joined us today. I pray that God changes your life from the inside out as you learn how to live life in the second chair. Have a great week. God bless.